Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonable Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as always, Eric Kareem. Eric, how are you, man? I'm all right. I'll tell you who's pumped up right now. It's uh, my dog, Walter, who uh, loves fresh snow. He's just all about it. Good. He was Good. He's not, a, he's not a very active pup, so I'm I'm glad to no, hear he's is, making use of the snow. Yeah, he downright frolicking when he got out there this morning. Sweet. Good for Walter. He was pumped off that, uh, that Raptors victory on Tuesday. Who cannot relate? Yeah. I guess that's the main story. H- had we recorded this podcast a day or two earlier, the tone may have been uh, a little darker because the Toronto Raptors... Uh, had one of the more underwhelming seven-game win streaks that you can have, and then got pasted by the Orlando Magic, who it looked like they were trending in the right direction, and then they embarrassed themselves Tuesday in, in a game that they really should have won. Uh, so that loss looks even worse in retrospect. Instead, the Toronto Raptors came out, and they beat the Boston Celtics handily. They beat them. They were up 21 at half, which I think Chris Black of Sportsnet tweeted was the largest halftime uh, lead in Raptors-Celtics history, which spans like 90 games. Uh, The Raptors would hold on to win by 23, uh, making it 11 straight games in this uh, series between the Raptors and Celtics, won by the home team. It also extended the Raptors' home winning streak against the Atlantic Division to 30 games, which is crazy. Uh, More importantly than any of that, though, Eric, it exposed the Boston Celtics as frauds. We... um... I think we've derisively called the Celtics the Boston tryhards at time, at times. Not, but not a fitting name last night. Yeah, well, we're going to need a new name. The the Boston try sometimes is the Boston, uh, you know, lack of chemistry. The Boston Wahlbergs. That's that is not a snappy name, Eric. You got to do better no. than this. Oh, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't have anything in the pocket uh, in in. In in the uh, in my repertoire this morning, this uh, is what I was doing not... a podcast with Will Lou. He would have the Celtics slander. He would have brainstormed an entire sheet of Celtics nicknames. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, I'm not Will Lou. It's it's really too bad Will passed away right as the the Raptors stomped on the Celtics. Rest in peace, Will Lou. Yes. Uh, anyway, Eric, you know that you're my favorite person to podcast with, and you know how much I love podcasting. So. Um, <laughs> that I, I means mean, a lot. I didn't, that means a lot. I didn't mean what I said. Yeah. Uh, really, and really, I just want to talk to you about what happened on SmackDown. So let's get through the rap- the Raptors stuff. <laughs> I haven't and seen then it we yet. Can, we can't. We can't do it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Speaking of, maybe we could have a. We could. I could watch it. Then we could just tag five minutes on at the end. Maybe. I. I think we're fine. I think the people don't <laughs> want to hear about that anyway. Uh, the Toronto Raptors, though. Okay, so let's before we get into the Celtics game, let's rewind a little bit. Um, I think, you know, I don't think as as uh, encouraging as the game against the Celtics was, I don't think that washes away all of the concerns uh, that people had before that game. It's great that the Raptors have been able to get up for big games and beat, um, you know, the other four top teams in the East. They, they went eight and seven against Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, and Indiana. Uh, yeah, they were, I think, two and five on the road in those and six to two at home. Um, but they're also, you know, they have a winning record in these national TV games, even though there's this weird narrative that the Raptors don't do well on national TV. That makes no sense to me. Um, they have stepped up for a lot of these games. Uh, they haven't been 
blown out in, I don't think any except that one first Milwaukee game where Giannis and Kawhi both sat. Uh, They played good competition pretty well. However, some of the patterns in the more in the easier stretches of the schedule, um, like that seven game win streak that, yeah, the, the 76ers were on there. And there were a couple of decent teams in the emotionally charged Spurs game, uh, but it wasn't an overwhelming stretch. And they were kind of scraping by in some of those games. Uh, and then the magic loss and another loss to the Bucks kind of sandwiched that streak. The, the big talking point from those that stretch of games, and again, they're winning them. So that's. You know, if you want to take the Nick Nurse line of thinking and that it's good that they're finding different ways to grind out these games, you're you're welcome to do that. Um, perhaps more notably, or at least more worth discussing, Eric, is the fact that the Raptors through those games, you know, are still kind of lacking an identity of sorts. Obviously, they're working in a lot of new pieces. Uh, the Kawhi Leonard offense still tends to operate, uh, you know, parallel to the other Raptors offense. Where were you at before the Celtics game in terms of, uh, not concern level maybe, but like, hey, the Raptors are running out of time to figure it out and maybe they're, you know, just a good team and, and that's it. There's not a, a defining identity here. Well, I think that's sort of what I wrote about at The Athletic uh, on uh, after the Celtics game is when they're not playing well or not playing to our expectations, it looks like a lack of identity, right? And then when a game like the Celtics game happens, it's like, oh, you can run the offense through Gasol for through Mark Gasol for five minutes. And then Kyle Lowry can run the pick and roll for, you know, interspersed in there. Uh, and Pascal Siakam's going to expose any team who's not really dialed in. And then when things look like they might be teetering in the third quarter, there's Kawhi Leonard. So it's not like a really cohesive identity. Like I, I don't, you know, people have asked Nick Nurse and other players, like, when are the Raptors best? And the answer is always something like, well, when we get stops and then run in transition. And I don't really think that's an identity. Every team wants to get stops and create easy looks uh, the other way quickly. Uh, Maybe the Raptors are a bit better suited to do so. uh, But that doesn't mean you can just bank on shutting down a team uh, and they certainly haven't been too lately. And I think that's been uh, as much of a concern as the offense as this team just hasn't hit its defensive ceiling. So, however, often, uh, however, despite that, they in February, even before the Celtics game, it sure felt like that. They were fifth in the NBA in defense in, yeah, uh, in February thing. before that point. And they're, I think, what are they? They're sixth, they're sixth overall within half a point of Boston for fifth right now. Yeah, and I think in the Orlando game, that it was more of an offensive issue. Yes. There there was no Kawhi Leonard, uh, so, you know, asterisk as always, uh, you know. But uh, it's certainly the offense can look stilted when everybody's asked to do a bit more, and even when Kawhi Leonard's out there, as we've discussed. Uh, And another problem in the Orlando game was the long rebounds, which... I think is trending toward an actual problem as opposed to bad bounces. I, I'm not sure there's anything that really measures that super well, uh, but not that's know, publicly it, available for us to look at and yeah. play with. Let's uh, shake our fists at the heavens. Uh, you know, I was walk, talking to one of the coaches who uh, was saying, you know, the you always sort of want to go to the rim when a shot goes out. That's your instinct. 
but with more three pointers, like you almost have to box out at the elbows at some points. And uh, the Raptors were certainly a step slow there on Sunday and have been at times all year. So to answer your question in the longest way possible, I, I did not think that this team looked like a terribly cohesive team. I don't think they've looked like that for most of the year, uh, you know, particularly since the hot start. And the one thing I could say that was promising is, you know, even in that Orlando loss, Kyle Lowry sort of ruled like he was their best player by far and uh, was trying to will the team up to his level of intensity. And uh, that's definitely a promising sign. You know, the shot still comes and goes, but if he plays at that level, they, you know, take on more of a, they're just a harder team to play against, right? It's, it's kind of funny, too, because, like, they haven't been playing as well as they were earlier in the year. And I think that, you know, I don't know if this is part of, well, obviously the, the turnover is part of it. But I feel like in the trades that they've made, they've lost a little bit of kind of spirit. The, the way I kind of worded it in having a conversation with uh, Holly McKenzie the other day was that they lost a lot of what made them them. And they haven't found, like, a new them yet. Um, but... One thing that, and it's to your point about Lowry getting better and to, and to a point that I want to talk about later with Marcus Gasol is you add Marcus Gasol and Jeremy Lin and Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry starts playing well again. The Raptors have become like a cooler team to watch, I think. Like if you're, if you're not, if you're not um, in the day-to-day of being someone who watches 82 Raptors games, I think the Raptors kind of kick ass now um, from yeah. an entertainment perspective. And that was obviously uh, much the case Tuesday, but I think... You know, obviously, this is all going to take a little bit of time. Um, you know, they're seventh in offense, which I think is a little underwhelming. And then even sixth in defense, we've talked about this a ton, is that we thought this team would kind of sleepwalk to a top five defensive uh, efficiency. And fourth in net rating, which is like, you know, it's fine, but we're used to Raptors teams that dominate in the regular season. Um, the entire conversation has almost flipped to where before it was, yeah. well, the Raptors are so dominant in the regular season uh, but you can't trust them in the playoffs. And now it's like, well, they're underwhelming in the regular season. However, uh, there's this upside there. And I mean, look, I, I, we talk a lot about the team ceiling. Uh, I think the fact that they're 45 and 17 with a lot of injuries, a couple trades and not playing super well suggests the floor is pretty high uh, also. Um, but obviously it's the ceiling that's going to determine how far they can go. So Tuesday, ceiling uh the Celtics come in struggling they dropped two in a row out of the all-star break I think they've lost five in a row now that Kyrie Irving plays in which is um you know at least a little funny to me I I like Kyrie Irving a lot but I I also like what uh this season has done to Celtics Twitter particularly one member of Celtics Twitter um but the Raptors look great they 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 showed um you know, I think uh, a lot of the defense uh the defense that they showed here in holding Boston to 96 points per 100 possessions uh some of it was at least was boston missing shots the, the Celtics aren't going to go six of 30 on threes uh super often but toronto go to them into a lot of mid-range shots they did a good job on the irving uh horford pick and pick and rolls and pick and pops that had given them some trouble before and then offensively they scored 119 points per 100 possessions they had 33 assists which was their third highest total of the year uh they obviously shot above their heads uh, on threes shooting 17 of 36 which is 47.2 percent uh, but that's, you know, that's something that we talked a huge part of this year about how they were underperforming shooting. And that, a lot of that has started to regress, which I think uh, people can exhale a little bit on. The Raptors are now 15th in the league in three-point percentage. 
Well, I mean, now that Pascal Siakam is a knockdown corner three-point shooter, that, that you know, makes a big difference. Yeah, Pascal Siakam is testing uh, my commitment to sample sizes when it comes to three-point shooting because, you know, I've written so much this year about how lar- how high the stabilization point is even at the team level and how we don't, you know, 753-point attempts is kind of the stabilization point for individuals. Meanwhile, at like 100 corner three attempts on the year, I'm ready to confirm that Pascal Siakam is a 43% corner shooter. <laughs> uh, I'm just, you know, I, I think at, at a certain point we all, I don't know about all of us, but a lot of us have stopped putting any sort of limitation on Pascal Siakam where it's like, yeah, maybe this is what he is because every time you think he's doing something that's over his head, he just keeps getting better at it. So, yeah, I mean, he is shooting 43% on threes, uh, in, uh, in, the in February. Yeah. Oh, overall in February, I think he was at 43. Um, let's check that real quickly. Uh, but let's assume I'm right for a second, which is always a dangerous proposition. Um, but, uh, even if that regresses to, you know, 37 or 38, you've got a really functional player, uh, who can't be just ignored. I think teams will still ignore him to some extent if he falls down, uh, to there, but, you know, in the playoffs, but it's, it's another weapon. And that goes back to what we were talking about, about this game is that, uh, you know, they are just so, so stacked in terms of ways they can beat you offensively uh, when they do have, you know, most of the rotation available to them. So I was looking up uh, Pascal Siakam's three-point shooting while I said that. So uh, if it made any sense, he's actually at 48.6% from three in February, which is just nine games. And he's, yeah, my stat earlier that he's 43 and change from the corners is for the season. So um, the nice thing is, obviously, of late, guys have been shooting a little over their heads on three-point shots. I think OG Ananobi's had a big spike. Um, someone else has been shooting kind of out of their mind on threes, too. But you look at the season-long numbers, and the Raptors are at 35.1%, which is respectable. Like I said, it's the, it's the league median uh, three-point percentage. And no one really is shooting above their heads. Like Danny Green at 43% might come down some. Um, but like, and, and Siakam is, is probably going to come down a little bit from 37%. But Fred Van Vliet at 36.6 is below where he's been for his career. Uh, Norman Powell at 36%. He's fluctuated all over the place, but he might be at 34, 35%. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, both, um, a, a, you know, a hair or in Lowry's case, a, a more significant hair, a very coarse hair. Uh, away from their season uh, for, or from their, their kind of established marks. And then even Serge Ibaka, who hit two threes last night, it, which is uh, his second highest three-point total of the season, um, he's shooting 27%. And you'd think for a guy who shoots 110% on 20-footers, uh, he'd shoot better than 27% on three-point shots. So, And Jeremy Lin's 0 for 10 on threes as a Raptor. So um, yeah. I think, you know, we talked a lot about how the three-point shooting should normalize and there are still going to be these these high variance swings where you know it, it's a good thing that the Raptors learn to win games when the three point shots aren't dropping because there are going to be games like that, and then there are going to be games like Tuesday where all of them drop, and it kind of makes everything way easier. Something that is probably helping this, and it's not just attributable to Marcus All, but a lot of it is attributable to Marcus All. Uh, the Raptors had thirty three assists in that game. Uh, Marcus All had eight of them. Marcus All was. 
uh, assisted all of Norman Powell's 11 points. And I, I think they've built a, a nice early chemistry there. He seems to have a bit of a chemistry with OGN and yeah. LB. And, and the Kyle Lowry chemistry is uh, is there as well. Since the Raptors acquired Gasol, their, their pace is only up 3%. So the pace is not affecting a lot of this. And, and I mentioned it in the table in, in my piece today. Uh, number of passes per game is up 8%. And potential assists, which are shots that immediately follow a pass, are up 18% for the Raptors. So the Raptors, since they since getting, and that's not even just with Gasol on the floor. That's the whole team overall. And since Gasol's not playing a ton of minutes, um, you know, I think that's pretty notable. Some of it will come down. The Raptors are shooting 57% on threes that, that Gasol sets up. But, um, you know, this is all positive. And I think Gasol, we talk a lot about ball movement being contagious. And I think Gasol is a pretty good example of that so far. Absolutely. And uh, it's what you talked about a bit earlier. Like, they're just so much more fun to watch. <laughs> it, it's so much more, appe- it's a more appealing brand of basketball uh, to watch. And, and I think he really not, I, I do think he should, you know, Nick Nurse should be leveraging the matchups the best he can with him and Ibaka. Uh, but there is something nice about Gasol coming off the bench and helping the lineup that is maybe sh- short on uh, creation, especially with Fred Van Vliet out of the lineup. Uh, and yeah, like once Gasol gets the ball moving, the defense is, is just reacting so quickly when, you know, it doesn't lead right to assist that you can't sort of, you can't help but make the, the next pass and the next pass. And, you know, the idea is at some point you you get a very clean look in a in a nice uh, in, in a nice spot. And on, on the other end, I think something maybe we didn't touch on is uh, from the Celtics game is the Raptors had one of their best scrambling games, uh, at least in recent memory. Uh, you know, again, like you can almost just look at the three point percentage and say that's why that game was won and or lost, uh, depending on the perspective you have on it. But uh, you know, I think. It at least had something to do with how the Raptors were helping each other out. Uh, but yeah, back to Gasol, it's, it's been, you know, you can see what a difference it makes to have somebody who keeps the defense on their toes at all point and, and sort of rewards, you know, you're going to be rewarded. E- even if it's not you, somebody's going to be rewarded if you just make things chaotic in the paint with cuts and uh, smart uh, spacing. Yeah, and I think, you know, I know you mentioned the the matchups. The Abaka-Gasol thing would be interesting to me in a Celtics series because Abaka started on Tuesday, and that's justifiable. He had spent, like, some 160 possessions guarding Horford uh, so far and did a reasonable job um, at it. You know, Horford hit some big shots, but uh, total, in, in terms of total production, it was, uh, it was not too bad. Um, you know, I don't... How do I want to word this? I don't know that the Raptors necessarily need to worry in that Celtics matchup about who starts at center um, because, you know, the Raptors won the Marcus Gasol versus Al Horford minutes heavily yesterday. And while some of that was shooting and, and some of that was a bad game for the Celtics, um, these matchup differences, you know, they're important and all those marginal things matter and you do want to maximize the minutes of both your guys. But also, if you are the better team, sometimes just playing your best players is an effective approach as well. And that's not to say Gasol should start every playoff series. Um, I think you should probably start against Philly. Milwaukee is more, you know, 
your personal preference and if you want to balk out there for Giannis and stuff. But Boston, it really could go either way. I, I don't think it would make – I think Ibaka would start, but I don't think it would make a huge difference. And I think if you're Brad Stevens when Aaron Baines is back, you're probably trying to get Baines in against Ibaka and tweaking that a little bit anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's a valid point. Uh, each team was playing – without uh, one of their rotation players who you figure will uh, be a prominent part or at least a semi-prominent part of any theoretical series that looks like it probably wouldn't be able to happen until the conference finals, which to me seems unlikely since Milwaukee never loses and might never lose again. Uh, and Boston's yeah, going to bounce in the first round. Yeah, there, there is that. Uh, when they lose to the, uh, the Oladipo-less Pacers, uh, things will... Things will be messy uh, in Boston, uh, but yeah, like uh, it's it's not a. This is the advantage of having two very, you know, strong players at the same position. Is you don't have to feel terribly concerned about how uh, the team is going to, the opposition is going to expose you. I think you know, we, anecdotally, I've seen some issues with Gasol covering the pick and roll or pick and pop, just like we saw it with Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, but you know, what Gasol brings to the offense and how he varies the offense, uh, just has a better chance of making up for that, uh, than, than Valanciunas provided who, by the way, JV is balling in Memphis. He has like a 60% true shooting rate on like 35% usage. It's insane. It's, uh, it's awesome. And Bruno's guarding LeBron on clutch possessions. And succeeded. Yeah, succeeding-ish. The, the Grizzlies succeeded. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to, That's what it's about. We, we don't need to talk about the Grizzlies yet. We don't need to talk about the Grizzlies the the Gri- yet. The, Gri- the Grizzlies greasonablists. Oh, boy. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that one go. I, I also want to point out to people, I know we said we wouldn't talk about wrestling. Uh, Walter has been intermittently growling. Uh, throughout this podcast and Lenny uh, tried to like bump my door open with, I think her head from what it sounded like. Uh, we cannot keep these yeah. two apart. The WrestleMania match is going down. They, they were not friendly. Yeah. Eric and I watched the all-star game and elimination chamber together the other week. And Walter and Lenny uh, hung out and did not, they didn't dislike each other, but they, they certainly didn't engage. And I think, I think no. it's, you know, it's WrestleMania season for them and, and this is going down. Yeah. You, you've got to think, uh, I don't even know who would be the favorite there. Who's the baby face? I guess Lenny is. I mean, she does have um, cancer. Yeah. Oh, now Walter has lost his ball again under the couch. <laughs> Boy. Um, that's good. Yeah. What a what a spaz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so looking ahead uh, a little bit, I mean, you we you mentioned we mentioned the the playoff seating a little bit. Even with the wins of late, that seven game win streak and eight of the last nine. The Raptors still are three games behind Milwaukee in the loss column and don't own the tiebreaker. So the Raptors are probably locked into the two seed. Not locked, but uh, I don't know, the keys in the slot for the two seed. And then you're looking at, you know, Indiana is uh, a game up on Philly for the three seed. I think if Toronto's in second, even though Indiana's played really well and really tough without Oladipo, the best case scenario for them is Indiana finishing Third, Indiana has been playing super well. They have a ridiculously difficult March schedule by the standards of an Eastern Conference team. Uh, I don't think the Indiana Pacers are going to stay in third in the Eastern Conference. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, one, because it's nice to see them playing so well with Oladipo. 
and two, because that would make a, an easier Eastern Conference path. Uh, but I think more it's more likely that Philly ends up in that spot. Um, I guess for the Raptors, all that that really means is that when you're trying to account for things like rest over these last 20 games, um, you know, four games effectively to make up in the standings, you can probably say isn't going to happen. So they could just focus on them and not focus on the standings uh, at all, really, which I guess is nice. Yeah. Um, you know, Milwaukee's not going to lose four more times, period. That's that's my prediction. Um, they have a similarly easy schedule to the Raptors. Uh, I mean, the Raptors do have some tough games at home. Uh, so it should be a nice balance, at least uh, over the next few weeks for the Raptors. Some, some good competition, but they don't, you know, they shouldn't feel the need to put 36 or 38 more minutes on Lowry or Leonard on any given night. Uh, but I think ever so slightly you start to uh, prioritize uh, chemistry and cohesion over just rest for rest's sake. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to you know, get all upset the next time there is a load management game uh, uh, or Paul Flannery of SB Nation had a better way of, like load management is a stupid term. Like let's just call it rest and rehabilitation or, or rest and recuperation. Just something anyway. I die. That is a tangent that is not necessary. Uh, there will be more games like that so, too, by the way. The Raptors have two back-to-backs left um, on top of which yeah. they're just, you know, Leonard has iced his knee regularly. He seemed to limp at times since that Washington game. Um, he said himself when, when I was in New York, over the trade deadline that it won't be the last one he sits with that knee soreness. So they're going to, you know, they're going to prioritize, they're going to take every precaution because they probably should. They absolutely should. Um, but you know, it'll be a nice little mix and for fans, they don't have to get super stressed out about these games. Just a regular amount of stressed out will do. And, uh, yeah, you can start, um, thinking about that first round of the playoffs and, and who might come. I know I've booked five hotels, You're, so uh, yeah. I'm thinking. About that's, it. A, that's wild that you did that. Uh, if you want to look at that, Brooklyn is currently in sixth and a game and a half up on anyone else. Um, you know, I think they'd probably be the favorite for the sixth seed, but then you've got a mess of Detroit, Charlotte, and Orlando, seven, eight, nine, battling for those final two spots. Uh, I think Miami's going to fade away there. They don't seem particularly interested in winning uh, based on their trade deadline moves and their general play. And then Washington's probably too far out of it at this point, uh, four games back with 22 to go. So uh, Brooklyn, Detroit, Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami, I know where you'd probably prefer based on uh, climate. Uh, Do you think, do you, I I guess we we didn't get a chance to talk about this. Orlando has kind of kicked Toronto's ass twice do they is Orlando the team they would like least in this group I think it's Brooklyn is probably the the worst case round one scenario but do you think that Orlando maybe has a a little mental edge on them I mean I wouldn't go so far as to say mental but they they have some I mean Vucevic just presents a lot of problems for this team um because he is the size to bang with Gasol, but he also has the shooting to uh, neutralize him or, or to make a move uh, a bit more than 
he would like to on the defensive end. Uh, he's an awesome player. And I, I think, like you, I would put them second behind Brooklyn just because Brooklyn might hit 20 three-pointers on not any given night. That's a lot of three-pointers. But uh, we already saw them hit a three. That was Brooklyn who hit 23s against them, correct? Yes, it was the first time they'd ever won a game in which they gave up 23s. Yeah, and they can do that, and they will try to do that. And that is just a uh, a nerve-wracking way to live, or to try and live. Um, I don't think the Raptors would lose any of these series, but yeah, in in terms of preference uh, for the Raptors, I would probably... You know, Detroit or Charlotte doesn't, you know, you, maybe you'd just say you'd rather play Charlotte just because they don't have that front court player who can space you out, which is seems to be a dangerous type of player for the Raptors. Blake Griffin's playing awesome this year. Uh, so maybe you'd go Charlotte, Detroit, Orlando, uh, Brooklyn. That's sort of where I would stand right now. Yeah, I think the way to describe what you're saying with Brooklyn or maybe even Orlando is a hard way to make an easy living as the streets yeah. Would say uh, those are series the Raptors would probably win in four or five, but they would be tougher in some scenarios. Uh, let's look ahead more immediately at uh, the next little stretch here. The Raptors continue their run of all sorts of national TV games. Uh, Portland on Friday in Toronto has been bumped to ESPN and 8 p.m. start time. So if your tickets say 7:30, remember that's an 8 p.m. game. Uh, they will travel to visit Dwayne Casey on Sunday for a 6 p.m. tip in Detroit, and then they will play. Uh, at home for a second meeting with James Harden and the Houston Rockets on Tuesday, which over the last couple of years has been one of the most fun games on Toronto's schedule every year. Uh, the last time they played Houston, it was that ridiculous game where the Raptors fell behind and then they made up 11 points in the final minute and then just couldn't couldn't get it done and ended up losing 121-119. And James Harden was uh, merely mortal with like 35 points or whatever he had. Uh, Eric Portland at Detroit, Houston. What do you what do you have for the next for the next three games? I'm gonna say win loss loss. They lose uh, it, they lose to Detroit again. Yeah, Dwayne um, Casey. I don't I, I don't have a good feeling about it. I, uh, I I think the Raptors are a better team than Detroit. Obviously, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's just I don't know. It's the the way this team. I, I'm hesitant to use terms like turn it on or flip the switch. I think that's that can be a bit extreme, but they do, you know, seem to dial it back <laughs> and, uh, on certain nights. Like the Orlando game went beyond sort of poor shooting. They were just not locked in mentally. Like I, I guess focus is the best word, and I think there will be those nights now that they're sort of in this position of being nearly locked into a seating. So let's chalk it up to that. Here is the solution to that, though, Eric. If Nick Nurse plays Malcolm Miller, the Toronto Raptors can't lose. The Toronto Raptors are now, after Tuesday night, 16-0 in games Malcolm Miller has appeared in. And I know that the causation and correlation, like the, you know, that's not pointing in the direction the stat might suggest. However, however, I think, one, it points to the Raptors never really uh, getting blown out all that much because any garbage time Malcolm Miller received was only uh, in victory. And 
you know, he played eight minutes or more in seven of those games, and he started four of them. Yeah, who can forget the Malcolm Miller starting streak? He locked up Oladipo, you know, or at uh, least made life difficult for him. Uh, the Raptors oh. can't lose when Malcolm Miller plays, is my point. 16-0. and uh, It is inching toward the longest winning streak to start a career in NBA history, based on all the data I can uh, find available to me. It's, uh, it is now... I, it is it is replaced or taken up the 2018-19 version of last year's uh, is Lorenzo Brown going to set a franchise record for lowest usage rate? This is now my my cause. Can Malcolm Miller set the NBA record for most wins to, to start a career? Well, the only real question then is, do we call him uh, Goldberg or Oscar? Oh boy, I don't know. I don't know about either of those. Uh, <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think the, uh, you know, short of him trudging to the MVP conversation after this streak uh, ends, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Look, stats are stats, like Yeah. Stats don't lie. Look, better to be on that side of it than us comparing him to Kurt Hawkins, surely. But <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think. I don't think he's going to win. You know, a hundred and whatever Goldberg won uh, in a row. But who am I to doubt Malcolm Miller? You're nobody. He's undefeated. It's, uh, it is uh, like it is kind of a bonkers stat, though, that he's 16 yeah, to start career. Uh, also, another bonkers, another bonkers stat that the Raptors from Johnny Russell on the broadcast. Uh, I saw it from Eric Smith's Twitter account. The Raptors have won their last 30 home games against divisional opponents. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier in this podcast. Did you pay attention, oh, man? Were you, were you cutting out at the time? Or was I just looking up things or wondering why Walter was uh, growling? Yeah, you were no, probably, probably doing the I'm... Becky Lynch's arrested angle with Walter and throwing him in his crate or whatever it is you do with Walter. <laughs> oh, yeah, just D- DDT him. Wow. wow. <laughs> Look, I'm protecting the head. I'm a good worker. Okay. That is, it's, a bit, it's a bit far, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the, the another funny thing I came across uh, in that Malcolm Miller when I was looking up that stat, is that Bruno started his career 18 and one. Nah. Which one was his first loss though. Do you know? Early. It was early on. It was like his fourth appearance or something like that. Yeah. So, um, he does not, you know, Bruno just isn't the winner that Malcolm Miller is. Although they both have, uh, wins over LeBron James now. Yeah. I guess the key would be to, uh, be a mostly garbage time player on a really good team that, yep doesn't you know really turn off the switch to the extent that they just don't show up often uh when they turn off the switch it's usually results in a closer than it should be game oh actually i do want to sorry this is i don't know if people on this podcast care about the 905 and i know we mention them sometimes um but they're in an interesting spot so i want to talk about them for just a little bit if that's okay with you yes uh, it, it is relevant to Malcolm Miller's development as well, and maybe Jordan Lloyd's too. Uh, Malcolm Miller might be a power forward the rest of the season with Raptors 905. He's primarily been a three. Uh, he can kind of they they all use him to guard one through four at that level. Uh, but the 905 uh, were able to claim Wade Baldwin off of waivers. Wade Baldwin was cut after being traded a bunch of times um, and entered the G League player pool. And what happens is, you know, if you're if you're in the G League on assignment from an NBA team or on a two way player. Once those contracts end, those teams don't own your rights. Um, so, for example, Malcolm Miller this year before he got signed could have been signed by another NBA team. 
Um, so they, they claimed Wade Baldwin. They had the highest uh, waiver priority. They are now, they claimed Josh Adams earlier in the year uh, off the waiver wire as well. And he's been awesome for them. Uh, he was just playing with the U.S. In, in the FIBA qualifiers. They now have Josh Adams, uh, Jordan Lloyd, and Wade Baldwin, as well as Jordan Howard off the bench, who can all play the point guard position. Um, and Dwayne Notice, who is, you know, effectively a, a point guard height with a, a thick man's frame who, who can slide up a position or two. And then they basically have Malcolm Miller, Chris Boucher, and Derek Cook to be their front court now. Um, the 905 are pushing toward a third consecutive playoff appearance, which is difficult to do in the G League. They are um, 24 and 16, despite at times playing with only eight guys. Um, they're half, they're a game back of the division, which would probably get you a buy through the first round. Uh, all of this is to say that the next little bit of 905 action will probably be pretty interesting to watch. They're going to have a lot of Lloyd and Miller. Um, they're probably going to have some Chris Boucher. Wade Baldwin is a fringe NBA-level talent, and they're in a playoff race. Uh, and then if it gets to the playoffs, which start before the NBA playoffs now, mercifully, uh, they're one-and-done playoffs. So uh, the 905, if you haven't been paying attention to them and you want to look at guys like Lloyd and Miller and Boucher and where they're at, uh, the next couple weeks of 905 action should be pretty fun and pretty high stakes. Did they sign Wade Baldwin the third or the fourth? The fourth. Okay. I'm not sure if Wade Baldwin III is still active. I don't believe he's in the G League player pool. So, okay, all right, good to know. But it's a by G League standards, that's a pretty good guy to get. Like, I don't, he hasn't looked like good at the NBA level really, but that's a that's a good good get at the G League level. Shout out to Chad Sanders, oh, making it work yeah, down there. Jamma, yeah, I mean every every member, every part of the Raptors organization is going all on this year. You want to have that org, you want to have that organiz, organizational synergy. Yeah. Um, that's what they're always talking about. Plus, it probably helps young guys develop getting those high leverage playoff games. It certainly helped Bruno yeah. Caboclo, Pascal Siakam, and Fred VanVleet. It did not hurt them. We can safely say. Look, I'm pretty sure that that helped Pascal Siakam a boatload because he had the ball in his hands all the time. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. Uh, Fred VanVleet, it might have helped less because Fred went down there and I was like, okay, it's a joke that this guy's in the G League. He's much too good for this. Uh, and he was, yes. Now he's, he a, now he's a well-paid NBA player, and Pascal Siakam is about to become a very well-paid NBA player. Who has who has one thumb and is never going back to the G League? Fred VanVleet. That guy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, VanVleet, by the way, <laughs> um, he's walking around. He's still got the, the thing on his thumb. Celebrated his 25th birthday the other week in all his Instagram photos. It's funny because he's got the, the thing on his thumb. Uh, he's still a little bit away. At the time of... The injury, uh, the Raptors said three to four weeks, and Shams Trania said five weeks, which probably means five weeks before he's back on the court, three weeks or so before he's back uh, practicing. Uh, but he's already doing the the Jonas Valanciunas honorary, you know, full one-handed workout before games. So uh, Van Vliet, um, probably sick of the exercise bike at this point and running, but uh, don't forget that he's going to get added back to this at some point. And I think... You know, I think that helps a lot in games when Marcus All starts to get another playmaker out there, and him and yeah. Jamie Lynn should be nice compliments since Van Vliet plays so well off the ball. Um, but that'll be a nice little, nice little addition later in March. It will also uh, less the opportunity that I slander Patrick McCaw on Twitter, and he makes me look stupid. So yeah. that's good. Is uh, the one thing I don't know about Patrick McCaw yet is uh, is he a vanity searcher? Because some of the some of the guys will search their names after games. And then, not that they would know who, you know, which one of us is Eric Green or anything like that, but. Well, my face is on there. 
yeah, um, they don't. We're all we're all just flannel shirts to them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I ate my words. He really had an impact on that game, um, at least defensively. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think we don't need a big long Patrick McCaw conversation. We can probably end it here. But the thing that gets me with him is he's very deliberate in his decision making when the ball touches him uh, t- uh, go, ends you know goes arrives in his hands as basketballs are wont to do sometimes uh, it's you know there's the one second rule what is it the 0.5 rule 0.5 rule okay yeah where you want to either pass dribble or shoot and it can stick a little bit with uh, McCaw who seems to want to survey the landscape, uh, which is okay if you're Kawhi Leonard and maybe less okay if you are Patrick McCaw. Yeah, the thinking with the .5 rule is basically that, you know, if the ball's moving around and you've created an advantage, if you take longer than .5 to make a decision, then that advantage has Mm -hmm. been distinguished or minimized by defense. Uh, And that's especially so against teams like Boston when they're not playing like they play on Tuesday night. However, they played yeah. like that, so Patrick McCaw was able to bust out some extremely funky drives to the rim. It was fun. Does he does he refuse to lay it up with his left hand, maybe? Because some of those looked weirdly angled. Um, I yeah. mean, I refuse to lay it up with my left hand, so no judgment. It but, could be uh, that. It could be trying to draw contact. It could be trying yeah. to draw a guy to do a dump-off since he wants to pass instead of shoot. I don't know. I honestly yeah. I haven't seen... We're talking 13 games of partial. Not that I didn't watch him with Golden State or in college or anything like that, but um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to look more closely at, at some of his makes and misses. Anyway, nice game for him and uh, and pretty much the entire Raptors bench on uh, on Tuesday. That's nice. Yeah. But when Good your game. whole team plays well, your whole team plays well. Good game, Jody Meeks too, coming in and knocking down a couple more shots. He ain't scared. Wonder, does he get another 10-day? Uh, well, it's not like a lot of better players have come along, but maybe you just want to keep that flexible until... Well, when is the date? It's Friday, right? March 1st is the last... There is no like. There's no cutoff to sign a guy, but he has, guys have to be waived off an NBA roster by March 1st to be playoff eligible. So any G League or international guys that might come... Like any G League guys you might sign or guys playing in China that might come back. The March 1st rule doesn't apply to them. Uh, it's only guys off an NBA roster. So the uh, the Anthony Tolliver dream is dead, I think. I'm sorry, Blake. How could you buy out a guy who's blocking Giannis at the rim when you're only three games out of a playoff spot? He's a nice player, despite being uh, eviscerated by DeMar DeRozan last year. On a play that was Blake Griffin's fault, I should point out. Yes. Anyway. Blake Griffin made a business decision. Yeah, yeah. Kyrie Irving did that last night too. That one of Pascal's dunks in transition, Kyrie just walked right out of the way. Kyrie Irving was having a uh, fairly animated conversation with Phil Handy after the game. I saw that. I didn't know if that was uh, mentioning it was a violation of the Waz rule or not. Well, they uh, they were doing it in plain sight. Yeah, like they they wasn't even in the tunnel. Like it was in the space in between the Raptors and the. Uh, Celtics locker room. Now, I know you have questioned whether the Raptors should even re-sign Kawhi Leonard because Pascal Siakam is going to be an MVP. 
Um, do you think the fact that they're now also signing Kyrie Irving changes that at all? Um, well, I mean, obviously <laughs> Kyrie's going to accept the, the mid-level. So no, I, I, I think because that's, you know, the only way the Raptors could conceivably get him uh, unless they can get off of $90 million or something. Uh, not $90 million, but they would have a lot of money to clear. Uh, Walter has lost his ball again, so I think it's probably a good time to wrap this up. Okay. I have nothing else to say anyway. <laughs> Great. Uh, so we'll try to come back here on probably next Wednesday. Makes sense. I'm traveling Thursday, and they play Tuesday. As am I, my man. Cool. Uh, see you at the airport, maybe. Yeah, my flight's super early because I'm an idiot. Mine is not because I'm smart. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, we will talk to you guys next week then. Thank you for listening. Eric, thanks so much, man. Thank you. See ya. If only to be a reasonable man.